Greetings and salutations. I hope your day is both tranquil and fulfilling. I am Athanasius, and welcome back to the podcast of Boldly Immortal. We conclude our series on the Steward's Conversation from June 17th, Year of Our Lord, 2023. I hope you've enjoyed the other two sections. Here is the conclusion of the conversation. And and not just through the blessings of God, but just through, I mean, just through simple logic. What you said about you know how strange it is to think that other person has just as much say as you do. On a certain level, you know, when we're working together in this way, they don't. If we're able to ally at those points that need, that we need to ally at, in the same way that you know they're they're willing to. They're all willing to come under the, you know, the sodomite flag to achieve that one end where they disagree on so many subjects. You know, if if we can't do the same thing, then ultimately we don't have the same amount of voice they do. But if we can, then it, it can balance the scales. And even more than that, simple fact is polls show that most of the country is still largely what would be considered conservative say that the recent boycotts really back up those polls <laughs> i think there was enough power in in individual not individuals but in groups that of conviction saying you know what we're done with this and we're willing to actually act on our principles we are willing to fundamentally change how we live our lives our very culture because some of these things are really built into how you interact, how people are together. My local barbershop does not have Bud Light right now. That, 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 that's just not something that would have happened. It's really strange because there's taboo there now. There's, there's something you actually have to think about. And suddenly the, the conversation goes to a different place when, when this thing happens. So they're all playing chicken because if, if they're the first one to jump up and say, oh yeah, we're, we're on board, they're going to get smacked and the next guy He's going to get smacked a little bit less. And the guy after that, hey, maybe we won't smack him. But that initial hit, that initial hit's powerful. Oh, yeah. I honestly never expected to see anything quite that swift and decisive in the manner of a boycott in my lifetime. <laughs> One of the things about about that, though, if we're if part of what we're doing is stewardship of the land, actual land, should I should I be more inclined to support the some faraway company, some corporation that says, well, we're never going to be a woke beer company. We're going to be a strong, solid, conservative beer company, for example. Or the local brewery, which is a little bit more politically questionable. Right? This is this is, I think, a, a relevant question because it highlights where our priorities lie and, and where the stewards, as far as I can see, our two major pillars come in. One, as uh, as Trent mentioned, the, the natural order, the natural law. We believe in, that, that murder is wrong, that sodomy is wrong. The child has the right to be raised by father and mother, uh, biological father and mother, and everything else that's not that you you're dealing with the fact that we live in a fallen world um but we're christians so we believe that the the natural law that is built into creation is worth fighting for is worth preserving 
okay, that's our political fight. And then what do we have before us that we are supposed to tend? Where's the garden we've been placed? Is perhaps a way I would I could phrase it. Um, how can we do good for our neighbors wherever we have been put? If that means that we have a local brewery that employs local people and uses local farmers, but maybe they're a little bit more on board with the other agenda, is it worth going there and starting a conversation perhaps about the neighborhood and doing good and doing something that they're totally on board with and doing them doing that with them? Say, um, feeding the homeless. Let's, let's feed homeless people here. What do you think? Let's let's or let's uh, catalyze some event. And the the moment that they're like, well, we're going to destroy the police. Okay, you know, you go off over there. We're not going to support you there. But you make friends with them, and you build that alliance because they're local, and that's worth fighting for. Is it better to do that or to support the it, the the big tent group that's fighting everywhere for everything that's doing all all of it at once? I don't know. I'll I'll throw that to y'all. What do you think? Well, there's a saying in gardening that the best fertilizer is the gardener's shadow. And there's a principle within within permaculture in which those things which need your attention the most, you plant those closest to your house. <laughs> because that strawberry patch that's in the back 40, that's going to see your attention about once a week at the most. Because you're just not going to go there. However, the pepper plant that you planted right beside your front porch, you can touch it, you can get to it, you can weed around it, and that thing's going to flourish because of the attention that you're giving it. The same principle can easily be applied to this stuff. That, that semi-woke local beer company, that thing is going to be a lot easier to prune those bad portions from than the multi uh, multinational megacore beer. And, I mean, we're celebrating this victory that we've had in these boycotts, but that just shows, on the flip side of it, how weak of a system that is because it took that massive of a movement to make a dent. These guys are still going. They are still making some money. Yes, they've had, what is it, close to a 30% drop in profits now, but that means they've retained 70% of their profits. Are they going to go under? Quite possibly. But it's taking a massive movement, whereas that brewery in your town, it very well may be nothing but a friendly conversation, and the junk stops. Well, the other thing, too, when you're talking about engaging in conversations that are troublesome, uh, that are against the flow, that are against the system per se. It's kind of like the debt snowball, if anybody's familiar with Dave Ramsey. If you're looking at going after an organization that's large like this, it has ranks upon ranks upon ranks of department heads that are established to make sure that the established trends stay and they have a vested interest in maintaining that. That's actually something called the managerial elite that Titus is aware of after talking with the Audacitor, and that there's this new system of elites that exist in the corporate sphere to maintain the status quo because they of themselves thrive within maintaining 
the status quo and disseminating effectively nonsense down to the rest of us to allow us to deal with it because then it gives them something to do because they have to manage us. Well, you can either keep trying to hit your head across the wall on that one or you can focus on the guy next door to you where, hey, maybe both you pay attention to the same minor league baseball game or maybe your kids, for whatever reason, are on the same travel team or you like working out, he likes working out. Hey, you like both beer. Let's start there. Um, it's much easier to have those personal one-on-one conversations when kind of like with the conversations and I think also the posts that Adam has had here on actually, hey, how do you have these conversations with people? It goes a long way um, when you can walk up to somebody, look them in the eye, shake them, shake their hand, say, hey, I'm Trent. What's your name? Let's talk X, Y, Z. As opposed to sending a, a strongly worded or reasonably worded letter to a large HR department that doesn't really care because you're only 30% of the profits anyways. And this is only one year. So you start small, you build up. I think really is what it's getting at. And when it comes to, hey, the corporate thing, even if it is good versus the local, one of the things that I've strongly held on to as of, you know, within the past couple of years is that if you can't, if you can't see something, from where you're, where you're at, if you can't understand something where, where you're at, you can't actually touch out their individual components where you're at. It's not natural. It's not meant to be that big. And so these large corporations going out and doing their thing, in my opinion, it's not very natural because the CEO has no idea unless he is like first-gen CEO. He has no idea how the process is being done. He has no idea how the intermediary steps are done. He has no idea what department X, Y, or Z is done because he's only caring about X1, X2, X3, which is a different subset. These things aren't natural, in my opinion. And so if you, if you, because it's unnatural, if you just pull out and you start going with the local, they will be replaced. And then it's up to the locals to say, hey, this is how we can own these things on our own. In some ways, this, this applies then also to the, to the nature of the church. And we were talking about this earlier, the, the way that proximity matters. And if you, if you do have something that is close, a church that you can walk to, you can have an influence there that you can't have at the church that's an hour away or that's 30 minutes away uh, because you have, you have access. And if, see, here's, here's the thing. If getting that church to a to a theological conviction that you're looking for takes several conversations if getting there starts with talking to the people who are there and in learning about who they are and where their convictions come from at the very least you're making friends at the very least you're making a connection with them and then the more that you talk about these things, you know, frankly, what I found is if you're the person who's talking about these things and making friends in this way, you're the person they're just going to want to have do everything. There are very few churches at this point that are overflowing with pe- volunteers to help with everything that could, they could possibly want to do. And the more that you do that and the more that you talk about your convictions and the more that you, you build on those fundamental principles 
in your locality, the more chance that then over time you'll actually have that that faithful parish that you're looking to have within your proximity as well. So it's something I've actually I've wrestled with in some ways about how we address this this issue of looking for a good church. It's good, I think, to be fed consistently. Have somewhere that you can go that you're just where you can relax because you're not having to just keep your guard up the whole time, knowing that they're going to push something that's uncomfortable. It's important to have that place. It's also important to know that where you are physically located matters. And if you physically can't get closer to the church that you're attending, it's worth thinking about how can I make the, the church that's closer worth attending? Yeah. That, that, is, that is a huge change in mindset. And it requires a lot of boldness and it requires, frankly, a lot of prayer. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of endurance because... You're you're going, you're going somewhere where you you know you're not fully welcome would be a, a word for it perhaps, uh, but it's worth the fight. If you believe that your locality matters, if you would like your children to 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 definitely have a parish that they can attend, and if you expect your children to, if you expect to welcome your children to stay with you and fight that fight with you. If you don't, if you're nomad by nature, God be with you as you roam. But roam, so be it. Uh, we're a nomadic people that, that, in many ways, that don't quite know how to settle. We're just, we're, you know, we use longer terms than former nomads. We'll, we'll go to a place for 10 years, and then we'll go somewhere else for five years, and we'll go somewhere else for 15, and then we'll retire to Florida. It's nomadic. That's what we are. It's a different way of, of acting. And I think part of the idea of stewardship is, well, maybe we don't have to be. And maybe even as nomads, wherever we are, we should, we should care about the people. We should care about the city in which we dwell and pray for it, as Jeremiah says. It makes me think of, uh, so when we visit family in New York, we have a relative, my wife has a relative who lives in Canada. She's Native American up there. And she comes down to visit Justice CS and she's always telling me the problem with Americans and Canadians is they're just not tied to the soil anymore. They're just not. It wasn't, I just, was it was the most recent brief, brief history of power Dr. Kuhn said about the whole renting society? Well, if you're just renting, who cares? I've, I've learned there's a big difference between renting my house and owning it. I suddenly I care. Which, which also makes me think maybe there is there's some <laughs> wisdom to only people who own property can vote because they care. Well, and that's absolutely. I'm probably kind of there's something called when I was taking an uh, economics class, you know, something about the common ownership fallacy where it's like, well, if everybody owns it, then you have a bunch of people that take care of it. Well, if everybody mm -hmm. owns it, it's kind of like nobody owns it. So nobody will take care of it. You need ownership. What, what are you talking about, Trent? I mean, public restrooms are always so clean. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, very much so. It, in, yeah. In, yeah. in places where there are conscientious civilizations or conscientious people, they actually can be. That's the, that's the great mystery. 
public restrooms right. in my hometown in New York are always clean. But that's a rural farm area where everyone's, even if you're not a farmer, someone you know is a farmer and they're all tied to the dirt. So people take care of the space they're in because the understanding is like, this is our space, we own it, we're going to live here for forever. Compare that to where yeah. I live now in Maryland, very transient population. There's never a clean public bathroom, ever. Right. Uh, that makes me think of, you know, just my neighborhood in general. I, I'm still on property that my great-grandfather owned, but I'm down to two acres. That great-grandfather, he started out selling off some to more or less fund his retirement. And it got broken up through the family through the years. And at this point, you know, a lot of that family has sold off their portions and is left. And with a great deal of consistency, well, the apartments that were put on that land, those renters almost never do anything to build any kind of relationship within the community on our road. I can count on one hand the number of them in my lifetime, and I'm close to 40 now. I can count on one hand the number of them that I could have termed friends. Because they, they're they there in a nomadic fashion. They, they know that they're there for a short period of time and they're planning to leave. Whereas if you're not, you have to get along with everybody. There's definitely the flip side of that. I've got one neighbor who uh, nobody has ever liked. <laughs> and that, uh, he's kind of earned it. <laughs> but that, that's just part of that community life. There's this one guy that, you know, in, in a lot of circumstances, he can be a great guy to have around now. He, he's aged out of a lot of his younger issues. But, yeah, that, that was, that's the thing that you knew growing up, there, growing up there is, you know, kind of leave him alone. He, he's fairly litigious. With the renters, you never know what you have. And that's also what we get out of our political system. I mean, they're, they're essentially renters. They're, they're there to get what they can out of the system for, for that brief period of time that they are in. And that leads to generational looting instead of, you know, actually trying to build into the system. We mentioned the renters getting, renters not knowing their neighbors as opposed to people who own the property knowing their neighbors. I don't know why it makes you think this, but you think of uh, my kids versus my brother-in-law's kids my kids are homeschooled they're locked in a house all day they get along even when they don't whereas my brother-in-law's kids they if they get mad they go to opposite ends of the house and they don't talk to each other again because the next day they're going to go to school and they're never going to see their siblings during the day so it doesn't matter if they get along with them yeah the the space like my children they own that space. They have to be in that space. There's no other space for them to go, and so they find ways to get along. Whereas my niece and nephews, they, they have space to not care about their siblings as much and just have another life. Oh, you guys, is that, is that too crazy of a comparison? No, well, I think it's a very apt comparison. Yeah, that's very good. I'm trying... I'm... I think I, I saw that pattern in, in my family, too, that we went to school, but there were, 
six to eight kids at like at home at any given point in time. So we nobody had a room to themselves, and you always fight the most with the person closest to your age, just which, which is who you're rooming with. We didn't do any extracurriculars because it was half an hour to the nearest anything. Five minutes to the nearest church, but half an hour to the nearest anything else. I was home alone once before I turned 18. Mm. And it was really weird. I was like 16, and I'd never been home alone before. I feel like there's something in that about the fact that you fight with the ones that you're closest to in age, but I just can't quite put my finger on it. What I'm thinking of is the toys that my two-year-old son wants and the toys that my eight-year-old daughter wants are not the same. So my son's going to pull out his trucks and my daughter's going to pull out her painting and they're not going to fight over trucks or painting because they don't care. I don't, I'm wondering if I'm off the deep end thinking maybe there's something like that where the closer you are in age, the more the things you care about. No, that's the exact same thing. You fight the strongest people closest to you that you care about the most because you both care about those things the most. This is why the church can't get along. <laughs> because we care so much. Yeah. This is why the EO and the Catholics and the Lutherans, we fight all the time. We've been fighting for a millennia to a certain extent. You know, I hope we all care. <laughs> but I think that's only what it is. Um... And then getting to that, if you have space to go, if you have somewhere to flee to, then you're going to because it's the path of least resistance. And so if you can have separate denominations that don't have to talk to each other, then you're going to because it's easy. But that doesn't mean it's worth having. And so especially mm -hmm. now, you know, united under a negative vision where it says, hey, if we don't work together, uh, bad things are here in certain parts of the states. They're going to get worse in those states, and they're going to show up in other states because that's just the way evil operates. You're always dead. It's there's always death. There is no life except in Christ. And so time, time is always it's always dead. Time is always dead. It's always in a state of decay unless you have Christ. That's why if you're not active on these things, if you're not pushing this envelope, it'll just fall apart. And so if we don't stand and move forward. And realize the reality of the situation, what needs to occur, and the reality of nature, then things will keep going the way that they've been going. But going back to the original, I mean, you fight the most because you care the most. I mean, people don't people don't go to the sandbox to fight over oil because they don't care about oil. There's no point. Well, this tie is talking about listening uh, to that comment about uh, the the struggle and, and the, using the muscles and the sharpening iron um, and, and truly recognizing that the disagreements and the, there, there's somewhere forward to go from there as opposed to we're not against each other. The positive edge of the, of the fight is that you're actually both better than to stand together against the common foe. Wow. Yeah. How much of the how much of the fighting Trent's thing that he said, how much of the fighting is because we see these people that we're fighting over as resources rather than people to love and to serve? Ukraine. Yeah. 
part of what it makes that that conflict hard to hard to speak well about in in many ways i think is that russia's russia's not a megalomaniacal bad guy if you look at it from russia's perspective what russia's doing as we we talked about this in the last podcast Russia's trying to care about their own shrinking demographic and the ability to secure them against an, a foreign threat and playing the old-fashioned Roman game of fighting a defensive war of aggression. So to defend <laughs> yeah. yourself in the future, you're going to go fight somebody who is inevitably going to attack you so you have a defensible border against them. Now, that's not quite the Romans aspect. I think the Romans aspect was more, if we fight them now and we destroy them, then they're never a threat to us again. There's a that, there's that a, was pretty much uh, Julius Caesar's argument. There's a line that Russia's trying to get to. Mm-hmm. What's the what is the cost that they're willing to pay in the lives of others though? And so, who are we are we willing to defend the Ukrainians exclusively because of the awful, awful war crimes that Russians have committed in their attempt to secure their own border? As they see it. Now, I'm not going to defend the Russians. I'm not going to defend the the um, the globalized empire that's trying to push debauchery on the civilization. And that's using Ukraine as a poster child for this. And the same thing with Taiwan. I don't know if I can support that morally. But what's going to end the bloodshed fastest? What's actually going to end the war? I don't know. So she, it's not my it's not my vocation <laughs> sorry uh, I am neither an ambassador nor uh, a member of either one of these countries I'm I, I really don't have the ability to know what's going on and how we could come up to some peaceful agreement I'm gonna claim frankly until I have the responsibility to make some decisions that matter I'm gonna worry about the fact that maybe there was a shooting downtown the other day that probably matters more. And who who are the parties involved with that? What are the two yeah. sides involved with the, that? Whatever gang warfare is going on. What what group are the Sinaloa coming up north, or is that Jalisco Nuevo coming up into my community? Are they? I don't know. Uh, do I know what those are? The 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 Mexican cartels that are fighting for access to the United States's border to flood it with drugs, or if you're Jalisco Nuevo. Uh, who actually just think that terror is a viable path forward. This is not good. This is on our borders. This is this is on the border of the, the nation that has empowered me as a citizen of that nation to care about my neighbors and use my votes to represent what I think should be done, who I think should go handle issues for me at the imperial court, which is a much better way of talking about Congress. And I think we'd like it better if we did talk about it that way. You know, they, they all work for the emperor. The emperor is a document or it's like the God emperor from 40 K he's asleep. And you've got a bunch of priests who, who read his will. Uh, it's a very strange country that we live in. And they told me, they told me to give some opinions. So I'm going to give some opinions about the things that matter that way, because I just can't, I can't care about something halfway around the world. And I shouldn't care about that. If there are much more pressing issues, like, uh, like we were saying earlier, much more pressing issues that I can actually address by talking to someone real. But it's easy to talk about things that you can't do anything about as opposed to talking about things that you can do things about. Yeah. 
And I think, and I think the fact is, that's the crux of it all. And the fact is, we are not God. Our reach is not unlimited. We can only affect that which is within our sphere of influence. And like Titus just said, you know, the government that we currently have empowers our opinions to actually matter in our governance if we apply those opinions properly. And so, insofar as they reach, we ought to. <laughs> Whether that means showing up at your school board meetings to denounce teachers teaching your children sodomy, even if your children aren't at that school. Let's say you homeschool. I mean, my kids are homeschooled or private schooled, but it's really, it's really been coming to my attention that I probably should be going to those school board meetings anyway. I mean, I'm paying taxes on that. I've still got a right to speak into it, whether my children are there or not. That's my money that's being spent. It's hard. It's hard to to jump off of what Trent was saying. I think it's hard to talk about things we can affect because then we actually force ourselves to to realize or to we we must confront ourselves about why we haven't done something why we're just talking yeah that's a good point one of the topics that came up in our last conversation was what do you do after the conference um, this was one of those those one-off ideas that that came out, and we, we it's tough. I mean, how how much energy did I have to actually do everything that I thought about doing during that first conversation? And you know, we, there might be some big high right now. There probably is some big uh, emotional wave that says, "Wow, I really want to care about my community right now and really invest in it." And this is this is amazing. And then. You get a few weeks down the road and you forget and you move on. Part of the beauty of what we're what we're working towards seems to be what do you do after the after the conference? Well, you realize that the whole conference was a conference about talking to your neighbor, so you go talk to your neighbor. And if you know you have a short conversation about nothing in particular, there you go. That's good. But if you can find one guy in the next three months. A question of what do we want to do and then that spurred me to put in the, um, the survey essentially there are other people with other like-minded goals or talents that they have they want to use to this effort Let, let's get those people together and actually do the things that they want to do um, and we, we from there the most voted on I believe was uh, going back to agriculture and the land and soil. Um, another one was uh, social networks and retreats and getting together socially and talking together here. And then the third one was communities, forming local communities and communes and, and bringing people physically together to, to do things. Um, uh, and so right now those are the three highest and, and um, there are others other items that, that um, are, are happening, but uh, we've made, um, we're starting to make the strides on those first three, and we're hoping to get more aligned on, on other items, but yeah, let's, let's, be a, let's be an organization that actually does thing, things actionably and get things done.
thinking that for for the interim between this meeting and the next, one thing that it, I'm going to focus on, and if possible, I'd like to ask y'all to focus on it too. I well, we talked about what churches we go to and how far we're willing to drive to be at a church that shares our confession and such. And some of us are very fortunate in that they're close, and some of us are driving a good distance. But then we all have a church nearby as well that, while it might not be 100% aligned with us, it's probably got a lot of people who can ally with us on these topics that we've discussed that matter so much, such as the fight for innocent life and the fight against, you know, the sodomitic counterfeits of marriage and the damage that's doing to families and such. I think it would probably be worthwhile if every one of us would pick that close church and go make one friend there. Something I want to do in the near future is I've been writing down <clears throat> notes from this conversation and especially questions about how to make friends. And a lot of people look at that and say, that's too big. I do not know how to do that. In the general chat, in the stewards, didn't jump ideas off each other about how to go to a parish where you don't know anybody and talk to people after the service and have an engaging conversation that's attractive to strangers and how to know when your resources are going to be well spent there and what you could be looking for. And then... Once that topic is exhausted, start another thread where you're talking about how to figure out what what to do next and just talk about each of these questions and bounce ideas so that they're not just goals, they're plans. And beyond plans, and actual actions. Yes, actionable things. Because a lot of times goals are... Too nebulous? Too, too vague, yeah. Well, as people are very different in execution, that making tasks more accessible to people is, is something that I, I just I see it as an issue in my in my parish here is that people are always like, come volunteer for this, but we're not going to tell you what what you can do or make the tasks accessible so that you like you feel like you need to really be in the loop in order to be a valuable volunteer where you just you don't. You you need the instruction broken down enough to you that you understand that we just need a volunteer to wash dishes. That's that's all we're asking. But we're asking yeah. so vaguely that it nobody says I can do that. We need an we need a cafeteria service associate. <laughs> Seven years of experience. Mm. Minimum entry level. Yes. I think of what we've spoken about today with the nearby churches and what we spoke about last time. That that seems to be like a nexus uh, between what Titus has brought up, a lot of what Trent's brought up, and some of what Cora's brought up as well, and especially what uh, Jacob spoke about with the building communities. Is there anything I can do to help any of you feel more comfortable making that approach? I have an idea. It Go goes to uh, what Pat, I believe Titus was talking about, what was stopping us, what are, what are, what's our real doubt. 
about in putting this investment into other people. We don't want to build on sandy soil. We want to build something that lasts. And all around us, institutions that have been built hundreds of years ago, maybe more, a thousand years ago, they're all slowly falling apart. We, I'd say, are looking for that insurance that what we commit ourselves to will be here long enough for our children's children, I think. I think that's a good point. One pastor I had previously used to used to talk at length about how we often don't really even plan for the coming year. You know, we take it day by day or week by week at best. And the thing that he pointed out was, you know, what would it what would it mean for you to make a year long plan for your family? And what would it mean to make a decade long plan? And I can't remember the story that he told, but it was it was about a man who uh, his prayer was to see all of his children in the kingdom of God, essentially. And it, he didn't just make that his prayer. He made that, you know, what he worked on all the time. And he also didn't stop with his children. He prayed the same thing for his grandchildren and his great-grandchildren. And he essentially built a 200-year plan for his family. And generations down the road, that family is still today producing pastors that are still spreading the gospel. I really wish I could remember his name. I'll have to I'll have to see if I can get back in touch with that pastor, possibly. The biggest thing that we will be able to see returns on for our children is that effort which we put into our immediate community and our immediate church and what we build for our children to also step in and serve. It's not going to happen if we keep this nomadic mentality that Titus was talking about. We need to be investing where we are. Because if our children are just going to be uprooted, then it doesn't matter what we build. And that's something that's specifically called out in that document I've been working on. Adam's seen parts of it, Titus has seen parts of it. It's very much a mental shift that needs to occur. Because um, if you want to be properly stewarding a nation or a country, a county or a township or a house, you need to own it. But if you're moving around all the time to the fact that you can't own it just because you you actually can't, then there's no point. Nobody will ever will. There are two edges to this. Uh, one is actually having as a head of household, especially, having a desire for your family to dwell in the land in which you dwell and having that intent. And that, that may take sacrifice of saying, well, maybe we're going to have to figure out how to fit a multi-generational house in this, in this place. Or maybe I'm going to need to be the one who gets an apartment so that my son can live in the home and can have space to raise his family. That is, that is crazy. Because I want my home so I can sell it so I can retire and go to Florida or Arizona. Right. You know, go, what do you go mean live retire? somewhere warm. What is, what is retirement? Can anybody answer that question? Like, honestly, you know, so I'm sitting here and I'm talking, like, my dad's like, I want to retire in two years. I'm like, I can retire when I'm dead. And it's like, so what are you, what are you, what are you doing? And this, this also gets back to something I was writing in this document. It's just like, 
one of the ideas is that the the trade or the profession of the father then goes on to the sons with the point of that knowledge and experience keeps growing. I mean, there's a reason why Smith, Miller, um, Jaeger, all the all these last names, they mean something. They used to mean something at least. Mm-hmm. And we've lost that completely to the point where if you have several generations, you have three generations. Say you have, say you have 15 men. Say, best case scenario, each generation has five men born to each father. And so then you have three generations of 15 men living in locality with a large part of those with the individual family lines. Imagine the individual companies that could be developed that are local and aren't corporate move-arounds. Maybe instead of moving around in three years, you slow down and say, okay, I'm going to move every 10 in the same place that I'm working, but also that's seven more years in the same position. I know more stuff, and so I can do more stuff. And this is something that a lot of people are like, well, you got to move around so you can, you can move around. It's like, well... If you've been there and you're an expert, then you can do things that other people who've only been there for three years couldn't even dream of because they just can't. Because it gives you time. Yeah. If you can, if you can, and this is something that I've appreciated moving here is now I have a front porch on the main street that I can sit in the sun because it shine, the sun shines from the west. I can sit there and read and think. And you do that at the end of each day. You just sit there. You have time to just sit and bask and reality that's what retirement could be because you don't have to spend the time working for the benefit of the economy and instead you have the clarity the experience and the wisdom to spread good to your community to to do more good for others than you could if you were still employed so you take all of that energy that you've put towards being uh, being valuable to your community and to your family. I mean, I don't want to get into the, the this this idea of wage slavery. Just see of it as you serve in your vocation, and then you you see that your vocation shifts, but the the responsibility you have towards caring about your neighbor doesn't go away. So, what is retirement? There are, there are two models. There's the, I'm going to go goof off. I'm going to do everything that I couldn't do because I had to care for my kids and I had to work for this company and I had to make money. Why did this have to be some burden to you? Why are your children some some difficulty that you had to get away from? Why couldn't you love serving your children in your home and then in your retirement, rather than trying to make money for profit, you're putting all of the work and the ability and the skills that you have towards just doing as much good as you can before you pass on, before you actually get to retire. I mean, this is how good is heaven going to be? What 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 on earth do I think I'm going to get in my retirement that paradise is not going to exceed many hundredfold? And and what am I going to be doing there? Am I going to be lounging around on a on a boat in the middle of nowhere, living by myself. No, I'm going to be serving my neighbor because that's what that's what I'm supposed to do. I'll actually want to do it. I'll actually want to care for whatever this the new creation looks like to to steward it. Heaven's going to be amazing, and, and all to the glory of God, who will be there dwelling with the His concept, people. The modern concept of retirement is so jarring because you're working, spending energy, and then it's a stop where. Uh, as as you age, there needs to be a, a slow transition as you gain wisdom to convey that wisdom out 
um, and then then to to uh, that opens up more energy available for younger generations. Uh, so it, it needs to be more of a transition where you're you're, you're passing on with your wisdom continually, and there there's no you're working and then stop. Just yeah. a mindset shift of what what your focus is, who you are, and your your um, your vocation and your you know again your your stewardship. What what is your responsibility, and uh, yeah, how do you pass that? Yeah, and it completely warps what your vocation is in the first place because you've spent you know the majority of your life instead of you know, working to pass on that value to your children and your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren. No, you've worked your entire life and put in all these hours away from your family for the specific purpose of entertaining yourself until you die. Amen. I've got another list of four built on some of these ideas that we've talked about to somewhat right. inspire the next step. This is, again, this is just something I'm thinking about. Feel free to... Uh, disagree or agree, but I've got some some thoughts. The first one is touch some grass and dirt. <laughs> and if you can, dig a hole. If you can, plant something in the ground. But, but <laughs> sit something and in that think hole. and, you know, I'm going to take Trent up because he said this several, a couple times now, and I'm like, all right, fine, I'm going to do it. I'm just going to go touch it. The broader idea being you're grounding yourself to reality. You're grounding yourself to where you are and what that means. But we're not, we don't live in a neoplatonic realm where there are some real things that are above the other things because they're not. The reality is the physical and the physical and the, the transcendent have a beautiful interaction that is beyond comprehension. This is why the, the, this Wing Lee was, was a fool he doesn't understand you can't just have physical things we're humans we're beyond that we're not we're not merely physical so touching grass being a part of the creation is not merely a physical action it is a physiological connection with the place you are you're part of the creation be part of the creation that's number one is touch touch grass i think i think we can put that one as an official to do number two we can't pull that one off. We've got problems. <laughs> or you live in a desert. Okay, if you live in a desert, touch sagebrush, okay? <laughs> Don't touch cactus. Cactus is just dangerous. Number two, have a conversation with a local ally over food, ideally, in your tent, at your tent. And I, I say tent because it, I, I'm trying to get past this, this idea of homes and renters. Home is great, but have someone over to your tent and it's awful and it's terrible and maybe it smells a little weird and your air conditioner doesn't work. I don't care. Have them over. Invite them into your life. Uh, there's, there's trust there. And if they're actually an ally, that's going to be a powerful thing to do. Even if they're just somebody you know from your church, you don't have this massive group of people you know, there's power in having them in your own abode there's a trust there that doesn't come if you just go out to dinner together by all means go out to dinner with somebody but the more hospitable this is this is why it's on that that document the more hospitable you can be the more you're actually telling that person where i am i want you 
which is potent. I want you to dwell with me. Again, we're taking we're taking a theological concept in some ways and 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 actually believing that it's more than simply theological that dwelling together matters in a way that what we're doing right now cannot. Right now I'm talking to a camera. And the more that I focus on the camera, oddly enough, the more real you all have become. Rather than looking at the screen behind the camera, I'm look, trying to look at the camera and realize that's, that's, what's, that's what's real here. And your voices are real. And you're all doing the same thing that I'm doing, sitting somewhere in a room, looking at a camera, connected to the internet. It, it, there's, there's, there's beauty in honesty. There's, but there's, there's great beauty if we can actually be together. Um, and there's power in that. That's that's number two. So number one, touch grass. Number two, have a conversation with somebody. Be hospitable. Uh, food's great, but just have them to show them that you want them to dwell with you where you are. Number three, make a friend at another church, if you can, at a local church. Hospitality there is going to be helpful, I would assume, but if you can just get to know them, that's a good start. Number four would be meditating on a vision of a better community that that sit and think that we're just going to, I want to actually think practically. And the trick for this is the negative vision. What is one, one to three things that I actually hate about how I have to live my daily life in my community? Hate. What this is I got this from Dr. Jordan Peterson. What do I actually dislike? What makes me angry about where I live and the things that I have to do and the things I have to put up with? That list is going to be so easy to come up with because anger is very very straightforward. Compelling? Yeah. It, you know what you're not happy about. You know what bothers you. Is like there's a stoplight right there, and it's just the worst stoplight in the world. Or maybe it's this this place is depressing. I don't have anywhere to go, or you know, I have no friends. Okay, so just pick something, and then like write that out, and then write out what would solve that problem. the The simplest thing you could do to solve that problem, and it's probably going to be beyond your power if it's if it's a big enough problem. But it might actually be close. It might actually not be that hard. Build a negative vision about your own life. What what bugs you? What bugs you about yourself? What bugs you about your neighbor? What can I do? Or how could I initiate a process of getting over that, moving on beyond that, where that wasn't the problem anymore? I think that's a, that's a powerful reframing uh, that will give us a good step towards what Trent was talking about, talking about things we can't do anything about, in theory, if you're if you're talking about something that upsets you locally, it's going to be more within your power than the things that upset you globally or nationally or yeah. beyond your world. If you want to talk about things that matter locally, just talk about what bugs you and see if you can fix it. One, touch grass. Two, be hospitable. Have somebody over to dwell with you. Number three, make a friend at a near church, nearby church. And number four, uh, make a list of things that bug you about your area and imagine 
a better community. Thoughts? My initial thought is it's summer. In a few days, it's summer. And one, two, and three, and possibly four, every one of them can be accomplished with one cookout. So I grill every Friday now that I have a nice porch that's out on the main drag. So it's really easy for me to ask my buddies at work, like, hey, I grill every Friday. Come over for some meat. Because then I get to tell exactly. them about carnivore. And that's that thing about, you know, talking about friends. And that's one of the things that I found as I've gone through moving to a completely new area. Is a lot of the stuff that is taboo, quote unquote, or controversial. Like, hey, just change up your diet for carnivore. Hey, you know, I have conservative views. Hey, this is the way I think things should run because I'm a steward. Because that's actually come up a couple times. Is that if you just start doing things with people and if you actually believe and actually live what you believe, all of a sudden people are asking you questions because that's the way you do things. And it's just so contrary to how people live their lives. Like, why do you do this? And it's like, well, because it's good. I'm like, oh, yeah. I never thought about that way. But you have to be honest. And a lot of times you have to be blunt. You, you, you can't, you don't, you don't, I, I don't sugarcoat anything. I think that's, uh, I found that's worked for me quite a bit. Just you, just say it. Just shine the light, man. Speak truth. Yeah. People either want people either want to be in the light or they don't want the light, and they'll just run away to the darkness. And seeing people make that differentiation on their own takes a big burden off of you trying to word it the way the right way, and it makes it really clear who your friends are and who your enemies are. Yeah. So that's kind of my input on that. Well, and then as in a, you make yourself an elite yes. because you're actually willing to assert. Yes. You, you, yeah. 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 If you, if you want people in your area to be healthy, if running's part of your exercise regimen, you're running around town and then people see that and they go like, why is that guy running? Why is he in good shape? Why am I not in good shape? Either they hate you or they go, maybe I should start doing that. Maybe you should talk to him about eating and working out and stuff like that. Be, again, just, just do things. Do things unashamedly. One of the, one of the things that uh, has always been, well, not always, but recently has really become a part of how I do things. Men conquer. We're sons of God. We've already won. Go forth and conquer. What does that mean? When you're conquering, most of the time you're not going to be very ashamed of it. You're not, you're not going to hold back. You'll be intelligent about it. Don't be hasty, but conquer, men conquer, get after it.